right. Yes. Are you guys ready to continue the outward journey? Yeah. Excellent. Good. I'm glad that you guys said that so energetically because today we're going to have some back and forth. Okay, I'm going to be asking you guys some questions and I would like you, if you feel comfortable, to yell answers at me. None of my questions are ever trick questions. So I will not, I don't play that game where you answer and then I make you look down in front of everybody like it's, they're all valid. So that is coming. Know that as we continue the outward journey. Now you guys might remember what the outward journey is. We get this from John chapter 20 and I will read the verse we get it from now. Here we go. Our catchphrase, as the Father sent Jesus, Jesus now sends us. That's what the outward journey is about. Here's where it comes from. John 20, 19 to 22. Let me set the scene. Jesus was crucified. The disciples were crushed. Now he's resurrected, and he decides to drop in on their mopey party and walk right in the room, even though they've got the doors locked. And here's the scene. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And they freaked out. That's not in there, but that's implied, I think. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So Jesus shows up, astonishes them, shows them, proves that he's actually alive, he's come back from the dead, and then he says, guys, I have a mission for you. I'm sending you. I'm sending you out. Just like the Father sent me, I am sending you. And that's what the outward journey is about. But before we get deep into what the outward journey entails, we wanted to have a series on overcoming obstacles to the outward journey. Well, I've got ahead of myself. That almost never happens. All right, what does sent mean? Let's talk about that. If we're sent on a mission, what mission are we sent on? Here we go. You are an adopted son or daughter of God, sent to represent him and his kingdom. If you are a Christian, if Jesus is the Lord and Savior of your life, this applies to you. You are sent. You should listen to the Outward Journey intro. I thought it was pretty good. I enjoyed writing it, and I think it's pretty nifty. And I described how we're all sent all the time. It's worth a listen. You're sent. So let's talk about... Oh, it's game time. Man, come on, Anthony. I forgot to put this in there, too. I was getting right into the serious stuff, and I forgot the fun stuff. I can't do that. I'm all frazzled because I'm talking about the basement. I'm psyched about it. <laughs> Who wants to respond to my game? Who's going to play? Can I introduce some people? Excellent. All right, here we go. This is the situation. I'm going to throw some images up there. They're all animated and none are too scary. And I want you to imagine that this person has come up to you and said, I have something I need you to do. How do you respond? You guys ready? Yeah. First person is Snidely Whiplash. <laughs> Snidely Whiplash comes up to you and says, I have something I need you to do. What's your response? No thanks. No thanks. Get out of town. No, no, no. You're shaking your head and walking the other way as quickly as you can, right? Okay, that's an easy one. All right. Second, this is a couple. And this couple walks up to you and says, we have something we'd like you to do. <laughs> no way. It's Boris and Natasha from Rocky and Bullwinkle. They walk up to you. They ask you to do something. You guys didn't even wait to see what they were going to ask. This is amazing. Snidely Whiplash and Boris and Natasha just shaking your head and 
walking away right away. Okay, here's the third one. This guy walks up to you and says, I have something I need you to do. No way. Oh yeah, it's Batman. As soon as the clicker works. And it's the good old animated Batman. How do you respond to Batman? Yeah, even Leonard Duke is shaking his head like, sure, man, lay it on me. What do you, what do you got? Let's hear this. You're at least going to hear the proposal now, right? Are there any other emotions that might accompany Batman asking you to do something for him? That'd be cool. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Suddenly, this is night and day change, isn't it? Let's keep this game in the back of our mind, as if perhaps maybe I will allude to it later, which I will. Game two. Here we go. For this game... I want you to think about what it would take for you to fight the following opponents. <laughs> Hold on, here's the thing. You are not allowed to have any weapons. You're fighting these things barehanded, okay? What would it take? Think about it. Here we go, number one. It's <laughs> a funny. What would it take? Yeah, and almost nothing, right? But look at the bones! The big pointy teeth! Anybody bunny by No? Okay. The bunny? Not so difficult. Here's a serious one. That was a warm-up. What would it take for you to fight this with no weapons? Probably weighs about 30, 40 pounds. Yeah, that's an, uh, that's an American Staffordshire Terrier, actually. They're like pitbulls on steroids. What would it take? Somebody tell me. Like a force field with the on your better arm? What would it take, Wonder? What would it take you to fight that pitbull? Oh, he'd have to be really hurting somebody. He'd have to be really hurting somebody else, okay? Yeah. Anybody else have anything better than that? I'd have to know his trainer. You'd have to know his trainer? <laughs> you know nothing. You know nothing. This is on the street. Nobody has a dollar amount. This is amazing. You guys you guys are just really tender hearted. You're not mercenary at all. I expected people to be like, 100 bucks, I'd take that pitbull. But no, it was the right answer. If it was hurting somebody, Reiner would, would fight. Okay, here's the third one. What would it take, serious question, think about it, for you to fight this thing with no weapons? Oh! That's a full-grown timber wolf. They've got up to about 200 pounds, a little more, usually travel in pairs. Would any of you fight it for anything? No way. I, I hear a lot of no ways and a lot of head shaking. People are like, you're out of mind. The pit bull is on your line. This is 10 miles past the line. So no takers on the wolf, eh? Not unless my kids are in danger. Not unless your kids are in danger. Interesting, Jessica. Well. Very interesting. Well, let's just hold that in the back of our mind. As if perhaps I might allude to it later, which I think I will. Let's move on to obstacles to the lack of, to the, uh, the outward journey. We're going to talk about a lack of desire tonight. Now, I looked ahead at the schedule. I have this message. This is it to talk about obstacles. This is the only chance I get. And I could make it really spiritual if I had to spread this out over a couple of months. We could talk about, like, you know, this isn't bad. I don't mean to slight it. But I could have a, a message on the fear of man or, or something that sounds really spiritual and in-depth like that. But honestly, we're going to wrap all of the obstacles together. I don't care if the obstacle is your introversion and you just don't like to communicate. Maybe you, uh, you really like going home and playing video games for 15 hours a day and, and that sort of thing. But we're going to wrap them all up into one ball and we're going to call it a lack of desire. I just don't want to. Jesus says I'm sent and I say, man. <laughs> and here are some reasons that you might have that reaction. Jesus' mission, what he's sending me to do, sounds hard. It sounds difficult. I don't want to do that. It sounds boring. 
students have to give up a bunch of stuff? And isn't there like a 10-page manual of stuff they can't do in size-five font? I don't want to do that. And it sounds painful. Like, I'm not an idiot. I've read the Gospels. I know what Jesus went through, and I'm not down for that. And it sounds isolating. Once people find out you're a Christian, they don't want to sit with you at the lunch table anymore, and things could get awkward, and they relate to you different, and you stop getting invited to the parties that you used to get invited to. I don't want to be isolated. And it's time-consuming. Man, Jesus was never off the clock. I mean, the pastor two weeks ago said that we're sent every minute of every day since we get saved, and I just, I'm not sure that I'm down for that. And you know, really, if I could be honest with you, yeah, I got saved at church camp when I was 14, but this whole God's mission thing just is not a priority for me. Just not a huge priority. So, meh, lack of desire, just not interested for one or many of these reasons. Now, if that's you, you could be sitting there and hope that I'm going to preach a message saying that it is not a potentially painful, hard, or time-consuming mission. But I want to let you know, this is not that message. <laughs> Jesus was brutally honest, and I'm going to be honest with you guys tonight. Is that okay? We are going to lance this oil. Let's talk about why we have a lack of desire. That was such a great image. It's great. That's so good. This is Mark Morris, sidetracking. He manuscripts all of his messages so that he won't do things like say, let's lance this oil in the middle of a serious message. I don't know, I kind of think it's more fun this way. <laughs> Is it an undesirable mission? Is it? God has sent you on a mission. You have a lack of desire. Let's ask the question. Is it an undesirable mission? Now, our verse comes from John chapter 20, and we're going to stay inside John's gospel for most of this message, just like we did in the introduction, because Jesus says a lot about the mission in John. He says a lot about what being sent means, and we get to hear him. We get to hear a lot of his thoughts, especially towards the end of his life, because we have big monologues recorded in John that aren't other places. So let's take this question to the same gospel that we get our catchphrase from, as Jesus says. The Father sent Jesus, Jesus sends us. Is it an undesirable mission? Here's a quote from John 15, verses 18 to 21. Jesus is telling his disciples right before he dies, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of my name. Who got warm fuzzies and is just ready to go? Does that sound fun? Let's move on. We're being honest, okay? Moving on to John 16, verses 1 through 4. All this I've told you, he's still talking to his disciples. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this, so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. Wow. I hate to say it, guys, but there's more. John 16, 32-33. A time is coming, in fact, has come when you will be scattered. Each of you to your own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. 
I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. The promise of Jesus that no one ever claims. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Is it an undesirable mission? Well, here's an interesting thing. I thought this was making it. Take heart, I've overcome the world. Then we could just pray, awesome, Lord, hey, I've got this great idea. Just take us out of the world. But a chapter later in John 17, it says this. My prayer is not that you take him out of the world. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Missed it by that much. But let's ask the question. Is it an undesirable mission? Here is the honest answer. And you can now tell someone that a pastor told you this. So it might have some extra weight behind it. Yes, sometimes it is. Yeah, sometimes it is. There are aspects of the Christian life that if you are faithfully walking with the Lord, that are not going to be fine. There are some things that are going to be hard. There are some things that maybe you'd rather not go through. This is just the truth. Let's look, look at what Jesus warned his disciples was coming right before he got taken away. He said you're going to be hated, persecuted, ostracized, killed, scattered, and I would add, because we know what happened to Jesus, mocked. And then he says, I want you guys to know that I'm calling this right now so that when it happens, he says this at least three times, know that I'm telling you this now so that when it happens, you don't freak out and lose faith. Know that I know this is coming and I want you to know this is coming. He's just told the disciples, I am going to die. He's telling them, I know what's in store for me. I want you to know what's in store for you so that you can keep it together when that time comes. Does that sound like fun? No. That doesn't sound like fun. So you might be sitting there thinking, Pastor Anthony, is this the time of the message where you're going to tell me that I'm actually justified in feeling stressed about this whole outward journey thing? Are you actually going to tell me my feelings are valid? Yeah, yeah, I am. I am totally going to tell you your feelings are valid. And not only that, I'm going to tell you you're in good company. Because there was this other guy one time who happened to also be God. And he didn't look forward to every aspect of his journey. Let's look at Jesus himself. It was even hard for him. You know, Chris Law did a talk one time. I think it was way back at Dwell when we used to have a young adult meeting in here. And he got up and he warned everybody. And he said, when you think of Jesus, don't make him Superman because you miss it. He's like, if you think of Jesus as Superman, meaning, well, of course he healed the sick, he was Jesus. Well, of course he lived a faithful life, he was Jesus. Of course he walked on water and he was Jesus. He's like, don't do that. Remember, he was just a man too. Don't make him so out there that you lose sight of the fact that he relates to you where you are at. Jesus was a real human being on top of being a real God. He had real emotions. And he knew he was going to be crucified. No one in their right mind would be excited about that. You'd have to be nuts. So it's actually a mark of Jesus' humanity and sanity then we read this in Mark. Mark, Mark 14, 32-36. He takes the disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane where he has one last prayer time with the Father before he knows the angry crowd is going to come and drag him off. This is that story. They went to a place called Gethsemane and he began to be... Somebody say those next two words for me. Deeply distressed. Deeply distressed. And, what's that word? Troubled. Alright, deeply distressed and troubled. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Jesus, okay. And then Jesus says to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
And he said to them, Stay here and keep watch. And he went a little farther. He fell to the ground and prayed. He falls to the ground and prays his heart out to God the Father. And this is Jesus' prayer on the dew-soaked ground when he knows he's about to be taken away. He says, If it is possible that this hour might pass from him, he asked if it was possible that this hour might pass from him. He says, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Do not dehumanize Jesus. Don't un-God Jesus, but don't dehumanize Jesus. As the Father sent Jesus, Jesus sends us. And I'm here to tell you, there are aspects of the outward journey for Jesus he did not enjoy. He's troubled. He's filled with sorrow. He's anxious. And he's saying to God, like many of us have probably said, Hey God, you're kind of God and stuff. Let's do this another way. Because I know it's coming, and I don't want to do that. But God doesn't change his mind. Another way does not present itself. And even though we have this very human snapshot of Jesus where he is troubled, and I refuse to believe that he wasn't. He is sorrowful, and I refuse to believe that he wasn't. He was not looking forward to what he was going to do, even though he was going to do it. This is a very real moment. But something happened on his knees in that garden that when he stood up and woke up the disciples and he said, my betrayer is at hand, something was settled in Jesus. And he never wavered again. And carried him all the way through the worst suffering that you can imagine. And there was never another moment like this. Something was settled. And I'm going to submit to you that just as Jesus succeeded, we can succeed when times get tough and when we lack a desire to follow through on the outward journey. Is this too intense or is this good? All right. I am not going to preach a message on God's love tonight. And that's intentional. You can, you can look up plenty of messages on God's love. I just had one, I think, a couple weeks ago at this campus on God's motivation. I really like that. We did a series on God's attributes at all three campuses earlier in the year. Go look up the message on compassion and God's love. It's great. But I wanted to focus on two other things that got Jesus through. Let's look at how Jesus related to his mission and to God the Father. This is going to be our catchphrase for this. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Because this is kind of the capstone of Jesus' whole mindset. Let's look at about four verses, okay? I'll read them quick. You guys hanging in there? Yeah, yeah. Excellent. John 14, 12 to 13. Jesus is telling his disciples, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to my Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Here's the question. Why is Jesus eager to answer our prayers in this verse? What's that, Mom? To glorify the Father. Interesting. I hadn't noticed that before, but it jumped out at me this time. He's like, I'm going to my Father, and when you ask me for something, I'm going to do it, because it brings glory to God the Father. Let's look at another one. We're going to notice a theme. John 14, 28, and 30 to 31. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I will not say much more to you, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Two questions here. We're going to take them one at a time. 
Why should the disciples be happy? And why is Satan being used? First question, why should the disciples be happy? They're super, super bombed right now. Jesus has just told them, I'm going to die. I'm going away. You're not going to see me anymore. They're sad. And Jesus pulls one of these, like, well, if you really love me, if you love me, you'd be happy I was going away. I mean, I could probably didn't have that attitude, but you ever argue with your spouse about anything? Like, where do you want to eat? Well, I'm thinking Arby's. No, I don't really want Arby's. I want pizza. Well, if you love me, you love me, you Arby's. Forget the lightness of the analogy, but Jesus is telling his mobile disciples, if you really love me, you'd be happy that I'm going away, because you know where I'm going? Do you have any idea where I get to go when I go? I'm going to the Father. Wow. You guys don't understand some things. And now here's an interesting question. The prince of the world is coming, and why is the prince of the world coming? Why is God using the devil like a pawn in this verse? To make us stronger. What's that? To make us stronger and serve Kind of. Kind of. It actually says that the prince of the world is coming to have his way with Jesus, to have him beaten and crucified, so the whole world can know that Jesus does exactly what the Father has commanded him. Wow, you should be happy I'm leaving because I get to go to be, to be with my father. And the things that are going to happen to me are going to prove to the world that I'm obedient to my father. I do everything he says. Here's a short one. John 15, 5 and 8. I'm the vine, you are the branches. We know this one, right? If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Why is it important to Jesus that we bear much fruit in this verse? The, the Father's glory, that's right. Isn't this curious? It all seems to be wrapping around. Hmm, one more. After Jesus said this, this is John 17, 1, He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that, what does that say? Son may glorify you. So that your Son may glorify you. Wow. Why does Jesus want to be glorified? Because it glorifies God the Father. We are witnessing an astounding paradigm here that I wish I could tell you I noticed years before, but I didn't, not to this degree. Jesus was absolutely obsessed with bringing glory and honor to God the Father. He desperately loved, respected, and esteemed His sender. As God the Father sent Jesus, Jesus sends you. God the Father walked up to Jesus and said, I need you to do something for me, to follow through on our analogy. Wow! It matters who asks you. It matters who you're serving. It matters who sends you on an errand. If somebody says, hey, would you get me a cup of coffee? It makes a world of difference. If that's the guy you don't like at the office, or a foreign ambassador, does it not? Yeah. One is filled with honor and dignity, and one is just some guy. It makes a difference. Jesus' whole world revolved around bringing honor to the Father. His center was primary in his mind all the time. In fact, look at John 17, 23. After Jesus gets done praying that we'd be unified, guys, these chapters, really, John 14, all the way from John 20 are gold, but 14 through 17 are amazing. Jesus has just prayed that the church would be unified, and he ends it with this. I am them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Not only is he desperate to glorify and honor the one who sent him on this mission, he really wants people to know who sent him on the mission. 
He's excited about it. He wants to be, he wants to be shown to be the messenger of God the Father to the whole world. That's astounding. Amen? Amen. I think that's part of what he settled in Gethsemane. I think God the Father said, you're going to give me wicked glory for this. It's going to be awesome. And I think that's what Jesus like, settled on his heart. Like, yeah, I can do that. You're going to glorify me, and I'm going to glorify you. I care that much about who sent me on this mission. But I think there's another, another thing. This is kind of the bonus. This isn't as long, but this is important, okay? I think that Jesus understood the gravity of the mission. Jesus knew how serious the mission he was sent on was. He knew it wasn't just a coffee. This is how he describes it in John chapter 10. We take a lot of themes out of John chapter 10. We're going to focus on, on just one of them here. Let's read it. John 10, 10 to 13. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I read one commentary on this passage that said, robbers, because Jesus actually says that people come over the wall and they're robbers and thieves, right? And those people come to steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy what? The sheep, right? He said that robbers and wild animals were a given. They were assumed. It wasn't, golly gee, I hope one day I won't have to deal with that. That's why the shepherd was there, to watch out for this kind of stuff. And Jesus is saying, I'm not some guy that's paid $10 an hour to watch these sheep. I own them. I know these sheep. I know their names. They know my voice. You better believe that if a robber comes over that wall, or if a wolf comes into the sheep flock, I'm running towards it and not away from it. I'm willing to put my life on the line because I'm the good shepherd. And I understand that if I don't, sheep are going to die, and many more are going to be scattered, and I may never find them again. The whole flock is in danger. If I don't run up to that wolf and fight it, even if it costs me my life, no one else will, because the hired hands are all bailing out. Jesus says, I know how serious it is. I'm the good shepherd. I will give my life for those sheep. To me, it's that serious. Jesus understands that this is the mission. This is how he saw it. And he explained that all of his sheep are those that hear his voice and respond. It's interesting. That means in a crowd of a bunch of people, some might be a sheep, some might not. Whoever responds is. And suddenly, he's willing to put his life on the line for you. That's amazing. I think that you'd fight that for your kids, like Jessica said. I think the Good Shepherd would fight that if he had to, to protect all his sheep. I think that a 200-pound wolf, while never looking fun, certainly not cute, would be, I don't know, less intimidating if you had something you were willing to die for and that's what you were fighting it for. If you knew that the lives of many people were on the line and you were the only one that could take it. Wow, it's an amazing paradigm shift. I wouldn't fight that thing for a million dollars, probably, but I would for Keith or Jane. Astounding. Would for Nicole, and I bet you guys would too. Guys, we succeed on our mission the same way. If you've thought of the outward journey, you've thought of being sent, you've thought of evangelism, and 
you go, Ugh. or you just have like your heart pounds and you're like, oh my gosh, that's the scariest thing I could possibly imagine. Listen, we can admire, honor, and respect our center. We have a different one, though. Ours is Jesus. Jesus said, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. So I want to end with some questions. And this is not to beat you up. This is certainly, I'm thinking about these two, okay? I'm not the guy who gets up here and I get to pretend like I have all this settled and I'm talking down to you people who still need to catch up. This is working on me, guys. I just witnessed to a guy, oh, that sounds so Christian. I just had a spiritual conversation. Now that's worse. I don't know. Jesus came up in the steam room at the gym. And, uh, uh, talking to this guy, and you know, it starts out like so many evangelistic conversations do. They grow with supplements you take. You know, I'm sure this worked for Jesus as well. And uh, we started talking, and eventually found out that he loved the Lord and just turned his life back over to God after a period of rebellion. I got to share my story with him, and you know, it was church time right there in the steam room. And I had a lot of good feelings about that. But you know what? I didn't think it's amazing, and I should be embarrassed. I didn't think, God, I hope that gave you glory. Even in the moment, I never thought, Jesus, I want to behave right now. I have an opportunity. I want to give you glory right here in this steam room. Oh, I feel rebuked by that. I really do. It never crossed my mind. I want to change that. And so that's my heart in asking these questions. When was the last time we acted solely for Jesus' glory? When was the last time that seems hard, that doesn't seem fun, that seems boring? Didn't play into it, and what will give Jesus glory did? Do we love, respect, and honor Jesus as much as Jesus did the Father? Does He cross our mind all the time? Do we hope our lives go a certain way, we get the opportunity to do certain things just to make Him look good? Are we constantly thinking about how happy He is with us? And lastly, are we desperate for the world to know that Jesus is the one that sounds like Jesus was desperate for the world to know that the Father was the one who sent him. My guess is that a lot of our hearts just don't beat for this. And you know what? Don't feel bad because that doesn't do any dang good. You know? Just pray and ask God to change your heart. Don't be depressed and lonely about it. It's not my goal. I need to get better at this too. But that's kind of what preaching is for, guys. Exhortation. Let's think about Jesus. Let's think about His glory. Let's fall more in love with our center. Let's think about who asked us to do what we're doing. And secondly, do we understand the seriousness of the mission? Do we really? I mean, I question that sometimes with myself. Do we realize that if we won't risk everything for Jesus' sheep, no one will. No one will. I don't want to be a hired hand. I don't want to be the guy who plays the good shepherd six days a week and on the seventh day the wolves show up and I throw my staff away so I can run faster the other direction. Guys, I want to be the real deal. I want to be a shepherd after Jesus' own heart. I want to be willing to run towards the wolf because I understand what's at stake. And the sheep are everyone who hears his voice and responds. That could be anybody out there. It could be somebody on their porch right now because we have the so dang hot in here, we have the windows open. Somebody could be listening right now and responding. That's amazing. You don't know who the sheep are. Just run out there and get them. Don't worry about the wolves. And lastly, we have to have this, or everything I just said will fall a little bit flat. Are we absolutely confident that it's worth it? Jesus was. Jesus says, you 
would be happy for me if you understood where I get to go when I go. I am going to the Father. He said, I'm going to go back to sharing the glory that I had with the Father before the world began. Jesus knew the end of the story. Jesus knew I've got to go through some horrible stuff. I don't want to do it. It doesn't sound fun. He was sad. He was anxious. He was, he was all kinds of emotionally in turmoil, right? But he understood that it was worth it. Beyond the shadow of a doubt. Both to save his sheep and to get to the destination, which was with the Father. Guys, we need to be convinced it's worth it. We need to be in love with our center. And we need to understand the gravity of the mission that we've been sent on. And I think we go a long way to overcoming this obstacle of a lack of desire, don't you? Yeah. Thank you guys. I'm going to give to Shamrock to close. Thank you so much. I just appreciate so much that you value.